Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. From the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 29, verse verse 11. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading comes to us from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. He has told you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The word of the Lord. So today is the first Sunday after the sermon series Trending Ended. So naturally, I assumed there would be a spike in attendance. And there clearly has been. (laughs) I'm joking. I'm just messing with you. This is also my last Sunday. I'm getting fired. (laughs) I want to talk to you all about something that has been on my mind a lot recently. Uh, We all know that there is such a thing as a midlife crisis. It is a time of emotional crisis of identity and self-confidence that occurs early in middle age. It is usually depicted by a a man randomly getting a convertible that's usually red or some other flashy color and overcompensating their aging body, trying to do things that someone should not do after the age of, say, 19. This phenomenon is well documented and even studied, but this is not what I want to talk to you about. I want to start today by talking to you about the quarter-life crisis. This is the lesser known of the crises. (laughs) According to the Boston Globe, the quarter-life crisis occurs in one's 20s. After entering the real world, common symptoms of a quarter-life crisis are often feelings of being lost or scared or lonely or confused about what steps to take in order to transition properly into adulthood. Studies have shown that unemployment and choosing a career path is a major cause for young persons to undergo stress or anxiety. Early stages of one living on their own for the first time and learning to cope without parental help can also induce feelings of isolation and loneliness. Reevaluation of one's close personal relationships can also be a factor, with sufferers feeling like they have outgrown their partner or believing others may be more suitable for them. I bring this up because a lot of my friends have recently gone through this phase of life, and some are still in it. And I would see on Facebook or here in person how they didn't know what they were supposed to do with their lives, or they didn't feel like school had pr- properly prepared them for the workforce, or that they might have chosen the wrong thing to do with their lives. And inevitably, not being the only other person in that conversation with them, I would hear someone else chime in with, God knows the plans he has for you. Quoting Jeremiah 29. 
Someone would try to console my friends by essentially saying, don't worry. You might not know what's going on, but God knows and God will help you get there. And if I'm honest here, I would always cringe a little. The reason why becomes more obvious when we dive further into that very scripture, so let's do that. The first thing that we can do to get more of a context to this verse is to look at the history. Jeremiah was a prophet to the Israelites while they were in exile in Babylon. For those of you who don't know, the Babylonians conquered and destroyed Jerusalem, and they took the Israelites back to Babylon with them. So it is to these people that the words of Jeremiah is to be, are to be spoken. The second thing that we can do to help with the context is to look at the verses around that singular verse we read. So allow me to read Jeremiah 29, 4 through 12. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they come prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill my promise to you and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then, when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. A couple of things of note in this verse. First, God is speaking through Jeremiah and telling all of the exiles to make homes, plant gardens, take wives, take wives for their sons. Essentially, God is saying, hunker down, you're going to be here a while. Secondly, God sets a time frame for when the Israelites would be brought back from exile. Seventy years. That means that many of the people hearing it would never see freedom again. That there would be children who were born into exile, who lived their whole lives in exile, and died in exile. Remember, the average life expectancy back then was much shorter. Finally, the you in the verse is not an individual you. It is spoken to an entire people, the whole of Israel. 
God is saying that God knows the plans for Israel as a whole, not individually as we so often use it. God's plan is to bring Israel back from exile, but so often we use this verse to give comfort to individuals who are in crisis or mourning. But this is a false parallel. Instead of seeing this verse as for the whole, we take it and we selfishly apply it to our own lives. And I know that I am guilty of that. I look at my life in hindsight, and because I like where I'm at professionally, romantically, and personally, I can account all of my successes and all of my failures that led me to that place as a part of God's plan for me. It's easy to do, but there is a problem with doing that. And the more I think about it, the more I feel like using this verse as an individual reassurance is me veiling my own vanity with God's omniscience. What I mean by that is that I think so highly of myself as to think that God has a specific plan for my every day, for my every hour, and it would And I would cover it by saying that God is so all-powerful and all-knowing that, of course, God would have that many plans for everyone in the universe. That's 7.5 billion people just here on earth, and who knows how many else are in the entire universe. This makes God seem like the worst of all helicopter parents. (laughs) When you have a child, do you plan out their entire life? Do you, even though arguably you do know more than them when they are still children, do you allow them to choose their own path and make their own mistakes? You do. And why? Because you love them and you want them to have the freedom to choose who they're going to be. We hold on to this idea so tightly that the parents who overplan their children's lives are seen negatively, so much so as to be villains in movies and TV shows. Fathers who want their sons to be football stars or basketball stars. Mothers who want their daughters to win all of the beauty contests so badly that they make their kids sacrifice everything else that isn't a part of their parents' plan. So why are we making God parable parallel to the parents in Varsity Blues, One Tree Hill, and Dance Moms, (laughs) having plans mapped out for each and every one of us that we get no say in. This also says something specific about free will. There are two ways of looking at this plan for my life. One, that no matter what I do, that was the plan. If I get up here and I faint, well, that was part of God's plan. If I get sick, that was part of God's plan. If I move to Hawaii and become a professional beach bum, after Alex fires me for my joke, that was part of God's plan. Some people view God's plan this way, and it's called predestination. Predestination is the idea that all events have been willed by God. Now, usually this refers to the fate of an individual's soul, but it's not exclusively reserved for that. The problem with this means that free will isn't really a thing. If everything has already been determined, if 
God has willed everything to already happen, then there is no point in actually living anything out. There is no reason for me to struggle over choices because I've already been predetermined to do whatever I was going to do. So this way of looking at God's plan essentially eliminates free will, and I take issue with that. The second way of looking at this is that God has a specific, intricate, meticulous plan for me. But I do have free will, and I can choose to follow that plan or not. This puts an insanely high, unneeded amount of stress on my life. If God has a plan for me down to every minute or hour or even day, then what if I unknowingly mess up that plan? Dealing with youth, I often hear them lament about knowing where God would want them to go to college. What major or career would God want them to have? And what if they choose wrong? That is a lot of pressure. When you're trying to parse out your own feelings, your own heart and mind about a situation that you feel could alter your whole life, the last thing that you need is to think that God could possibly be upset or put out by your choice. So this way of looking at God's plan puts far too much undue pressure on every choice that we make, which I also take issue with. Now, I don't want you to mishear me. I'm not saying that I don't believe that God has a plan for us. I do believe that. But I don't think that it's a specific, as specific or detailed as we tend to think about plans for our own lives. I don't think that God has a specific plan for me. I think that God has a general plan for me. And I think that that plan is summarized by our second scripture today. Micah 6.8 says that God requires this of me, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with God. And I don't think that this is God's plan just for me. I think that this is God's plan for all of God's people. Like in Jeremiah, Micah wasn't speaking to us as individuals, but as a whole. God's plan for God's people is to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. If this is God's plan for us, then nothing is predestined. We have to choose it. If this is God's plan, then it doesn't matter what college you go to or what career path you follow. God can use you and be right with you where you are because you are not messing up some intricately detailed plan. I find this way of thinking about God's plan much more comforting than any other way. I have free will, but I won't accidentally mess up God's plan for my life and throw myself and the world into chaos if I choose wrong. God's plan works for my life in any job, in any country, with any partner. I think that one, reason, one of the reasons that Jeremiah twenty nine eleven has been used over and again is because when we come into contact with someone who is in crisis— We have a quick, easy answer. Don't worry, God has a plan for you. 
And I think that that makes us feel better as the sayer than it makes the hearer feel hearing that. Dealing with grief, specifically other people's grief, is hard. We don't always want to do the hard work of walking alongside those who are in mourning for one reason or another. And so we offer a nice one-liner and feel like we have done our part. God has a plan for you falls into the same category to me as God just needed another angel in heaven, or let go and let God, or Jesus take the wheel. We might find them comforting to say, but they're bad theology. They can be harmful to the hearer, and it's us putting a band-aid on a deep wound and calling it fixed. Instead, we need to answer honestly. I don't know. I don't know why your child died. I don't know why your mother got cancer. I don't know why there are so many shootings in Chicago. I don't know why there is so much darkness and despair in the world. But I am more than willing to be here next to you and to grieve with you. I do know that God is here with you and grieving too. I don't think that this is part of God's plan. I don't think that God wanted your child to die. I think that God wanted your child to grow into an adult. I don't think that God gives anyone cancer. I don't think that God wants people to shoot other people. I do believe that God is always working for the good in our lives, for redemption, for life. So when something bad happens to us, God is there with us, loving us, mourning with us, reminding us that we aren't over when we think we are, and encouraging us to move forward. God's plan for us, for all of us, is to give us hope and a future together as a whole so that we can do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with God. When we make God's plan individually focused, we miss the point. God's plan is bigger than you. God's plan is bigger than me. God cares for the whole. God's plan is for the entire world. And that, to me, is a wonderful plan. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.